All right, say words now. My heart will go on. <laughs> I feel like that's the only lyrics you know, too. Yeah, really. <laughs> Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I'm Jason. <laughs> At this point, you're regular, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. Yay, good to be back. Welcome to the podcast in the sense of welcome to being a regular on the podcast. Oh, uh, thank point, you. So. <laughs> I passed my probation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's sure one way so to think about it. So suck it, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Who will still be on regularly as well, so... It's it's kind of nice having some interchange on the podcast. It feels it feels more legit for some reason having multiple correspondence on, on like this a, show. Like a rotating schedule. Yeah, yeah kind of. I don't yeah. know. It just Yeah. But anyway, so glad to have you back in full time. We got a big movie to talk about today. Uh a titanically big movie. <laughs> yes. That yeah. is a great way to describe it. We're talking about the nineteen ninety-seven epic romance historical drama. Probably add six more descriptive words. There's genre quite a few words. qualifiers on there. Yeah. 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 From James Cameron himself. So you've never actually seen this movie. Yeah, that was um we were talking about what movie to do next and just for whatever reason, this is one movie that just completely passed me by all these years. Yeah. I was the iceberg they didn't hit. Like, I just... <laughs> <laughs> I remember, actually, your sister... Um, I remember hanging out in your basement, and your sister had the, um, like, the two VHS box set. Yep. And I remember looking at it, and I think I even said to her, like, what's this movie about? And your sister said, it's a love story. And I went, ew, no. And I threw it away. Yeah. <laughs> but, Yeah. Talk about one of those movies that changes as you grow older and mature. And I'm going to talk about that in my review a little bit more because I have an interesting relationship with this movie. I've always liked it. I saw this probably when I was like 10 or 13 years old for the first time. Okay. Like not long after it came out on that two VHS tape. (laughs) (laughs) Those were the days. Oh, yeah. Awesome. But it's a movie that it was extremely important at a time when neither you and I understood the importance of movies or culture I don't think at that point like I don't think our brains were developed enough to understand how important a movie could be to the culture maybe for the benefit of those listening um maybe we should just say I would have been five when this movie came out. yeah and I'm about the same age at that point too so so yeah just Uh, young whippersnappers not part of the dialogue yeah and the other thing i was thinking about because you and i uh we were looking at doing like a movie in the historic or biopic genres Mm -hmm. and when i started doing my research on what movies i wanted to watch i was looking at the list on the imdb like the top biopic movies Mm -hmm. and i was kind of shocked actually because a lot of the top biopics are like came out within the last 10 years i would say interesting um, and if you think about what came out like this year as well we had um well we have upcoming the movie about weird al we had blonde right. the movie about marilyn monroe mm. um there was another one elvis elvis that was yeah. the big one this year we've also had a couple musical biopics in the last few years um yeah bohemian rhapsody yeah uh, rocket no- man yeah, yeah, Elton John. Yeah. So And so it kind of got me thinking. This is an an interesting tangent for the beginning of her episode. Mm-hmm. Um like it kind of surprised me, but then like I almost kind of wondered, are are we in the period of the superhero and biopic movie in this generation? Is that is that the low key big genre right now? 
It might be because you know I saw a um, a YouTube video came up on my feed where someone was complaining about Elvis, mm-hmm. and the subtitle was like the crushing mediocrity of biopics or something like that. So you know when mm. nerds on YouTube start complaining <laughs> about something, that means it's it's hit it's part of the zeitgeist. Yeah, exactly. I I was really thinking about that because it kind of put me into this like whole tangent about thinking about this movie and and what we were going to pick before we pick this movie even. Would and I you, kinda... not to cut you off, but I was about to say, would you call this a biopic? But I mean, I don't think it fit. Well, it's hard to, s- and yes and no. To me, a biopic is more focused on one person or yes. maybe an influential group. Yeah. This would be a biopic about I guess a historical event. Yeah, was, that's and that's kind of the genre that we were looking for was historical or biographical. Yeah, um, and so this is leans more into the historical. Absolutely, like, this like, almost reminded me of Ben Hur in a lot of different yeah, ways. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it, and it's that same level of epicness to it. Too, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, so I kind of was thinking about the biopic stuff, and I kind of wonder if it's just because it's it's like an easily bankable person that you're putting out there that already has like a significant fandom. Because right now, Hollywood's de- kind of dependent on big movie franchises to yeah. sell tickets, right? Because you have to get people to the theater to make money on your movies now because streaming isn't the same level of income flow as selling vhs tapes and dvds right so yeah i'm kind of thinking that that is like the low-key decision that hollywood has made in the last 10 years that you know we don't have to tell original stories we can just tell stories of already famous people because there's enough people if they're famous they're they already come with like a pre-packaged they're, al- they're already a brand at this point. Yeah. Like, let's just capitalize on it. Well, yeah. I, I, I was listening to this thing today about how, obviously, because of the pandemic and other things going on, like, box offices have been lower than they've been in 20 years. Mm-hmm. And Hollywood is kind of, uh, I mean, depending on who you ask, I think the point, I can't even remember who was who was telling this, but he was saying, like, you know, the biggest movies in the last couple of years have been these big budget, like, franchise epics, mm-hmm. like Top Gun Maverick. Right. And so, obviously, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, uh, yeah. Marvel. I think even Marvel is starting to see a downturn, though. Yeah. So, I mean, a downturn for Marvel is like, hey, we made $600 million instead of $800 million on yeah, this movie. That's a good point. So. We only bought five yachts instead of 12. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeez. But anyway, that's just my little thought going into uh, this movie and this genre. The other thing I want to talk about before we start with the Titanic is we just got through our draft video, uh, which I had a ton of fun with. Um, we recommended nine movies, which most of us hadn't seen the other movies that the other mm-hmm. person had talked about. So personally, at this point, I've watched one of your and Jason's movies. I've been watching a lot of movies lately, and most of them have been for the podcast. Okay. And with a movie like the Titanic that is 3,015 minutes plus something else we're going to talk about in this episode as well. Avatar, which is also almost a three-hour runtime. I haven't oh had a God. lot of time to just like watch movies casually as well. Also, during October, I watch a lot of horror movies because I love that genre. You're busy. Yeah. You're very busy. Exactly. <laughs> so I've only gone to one of the movies on the draft yet, and that hmm. was your last film, actually, last night. Oh, okay. Um. Nice. Yeah, and... Honestly, I really enjoyed it. it. Nice. It has like 
a TV movie feel to it, I think, in the production. And I kind of think that's just the Canadian production values since it's a Canadian that, film. <laughs> you um, may have hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, like, and, it, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I really enjoy the early 90s rendition of The Stand, mm. um, Stephen King's big massive book adaptation that's like three or four parts same with uh the it adaptation is pretty cool from back then as well okay Maybe a little dated but still it kind of gave off that vibe interest in the production quality but in the terms of like the story and the conversations i really connected with it uh, like a lot like i mm. really really enjoyed it the performances are like pretty decent but it's it's really the story and the human connections that each of the character has with with one another and and like the individual dialogue and relationships that each character has and and how each person is dealing with the end of everything that we know kind of differently right i think i was saying um it's a surprisingly uplifting movie considering the subject matter yeah like i was i left that movie feeling pretty good yeah yeah even though spoiler alert the world ends at midnight (laughs) yeah exactly which is not so spoiler alert because that is literally the whole topic of the movie that's right (laughs) that's the premise wouldn't it be crazy though if it just didn't end at the end of the movie and there everyone's just like oh shit (laughs) that i i could that might actually be a better ending i mean how many times throughout history has some asshole predicted the apocalypse only to oh my god for it not to have happened yeah I remember, like, in 2011, getting, like, a pamphlet in the mail about how the apocalypse was about to happen and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I like the ambiguity, too, to how the end was going to happen. Like, you really didn't know, like, why the end of the world was happening. Um, There's kind of hints, maybe, throughout the film. There's an implication. Yeah. I won't say what it is for anyone who might check it out. Yeah, you now have to talk about it separate, I think, because... I'd like to see if my understanding is the same as your understanding. Okay, but that's okay. for another discussion. Maybe sure. we'll even do that movie on this podcast sometime because I really I'd enjoyed love to. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what about you? Have you seen any movies yet? Yes, I watched your uh, your favorite movie, Network. <laughs> nice. So yeah, unfortunately, um, I was a little lukewarm on it. Yeah, compared to the blistering hot passion that you had for it. <laughs> I so, still have that blistering hot yeah. passion for it. I will... Uh, the premise of the movie is it's a newscaster who gets fired, essentially, and he tells everyone he's going to shoot himself on the air, and everything kind of spring rolls from there. I actually got laid off from my job, I mm-hmm. think, a couple days before I watched it. So maybe having, a let's say, an unexpected career shift right before watching that movie didn't do it uh quite the service it should have yeah you probably would have looked at the character of robert beale a little differently coming with a different perspective right than you're supposed to um, maybe i almost relating to him too much yeah as opposed which sounds weird i related to this protagonist too much but 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 it's also understandable when you watch the movie yeah. because he's more of a tool than a protagonist like yeah especially kind of after the halfway point not getting into spoilers yeah something happens we were like i don't know what this guy's doing so yeah yeah, i will say though i i think we do owe it a full episode on this podcast and i absolutely owe it a second watch and i will say the thing i did really admire about it despite all that was the dialogue easily some of the most razor sharp articulate even poetic dialogue absolutely i've ever seen 
and and what's okay i'm not you know what i could talk about this movie for <laughs> literally two podcast episodes probably so okay. i'm gonna cut myself off <laughs> i will say maybe my favorite line from the movie is when um beale is letting it all hang loose and he's like I was married for 35 years of shrill, shrieking fraud. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's a great movie. There's some awesome dialogue. But anyway, that's not what this episode's about. We're doing the Titanic. James Cameron's one of his biggest films. And it's crazy that I can even say, like, this is one of the biggest films of all time. But he has, like... Two of the biggest films of all time yeah. on his resume. The fact that you so. can say one of his biggest films is kind of... With a movie of this much importance. Kind of a mindfuck when you actually think about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so you want to get started with the plot? Do you have a, a brief plot summary you want to talk? Uh, sure, I can fire one out. Sure. Um, okay. So explorers have recently uncovered the wreck of the Titanic, mm-hmm. the largest man-made moving object at that time that tragically sank due to a lot of different errors that were going on at the time. So anyways, uh, Bill Paxton stars as Brock Lovett, who is searching for a missing precious gem that is supposed to be on board the Titanic. So, And when you say missing precious gem, it's worth like hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. It's quite a lot. Yeah. So I think they even say at one point it's like worth like three times the Hope Diamond or something. I can't remember if they say that specifically in the movie, but the the diamond itself is like actually not a real diamond, but based off of the Hope Diamond, which in and of itself is worth $300 million. So probably in that ballpark area. Okay. So anyways, um, while excavating the wreck with his team, they open a safe... And instead of finding the diamond, they find a drawing of a beautiful naked woman with the drawing around her neck. Yeah, with the uh, the, the diamond around her neck. Right. Which Not is, the drawing. Right, right. <laughs> Just like multiple drawings getting smaller and smaller around her neck. Yeah, that would have been a much different movie. But <laughs> It's like time-traveling Inception. Yeah, yeah. We, and we, we were 10 years out, at least from that sort of storytelling. But <laughs> So they share the uh, drawing on the news and... A 104-year-old woman recognizes the drawing. She gets flown out to the ship, and she tells everyone that the woman in the drawing is her, and that she is actually an as-yet-undocumented survivor of the Titanic. Her records don't align exactly with the records of the survivors of the Titanic or the people who were listed um, initially on its maiden and ultimate tragic voyage. And so we'll get we get into the story eventually about why she wasn't documented necessarily Mm -hmm. in the original list. Anyway, she begins to tell her story, and then... And here we go, and then it's Titanic. We meet Rose at 17. She's uh, very, very, very upper class, back when very, very, very upper class was its own thing. Still is, but just different then. Yeah, hopefully not as stuffy, but... (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so she's an extremely intelligent young woman... She's familiar with the works of Picasso and Sigmund Freud. So she's, you know, obviously extremely well read for her time. Mm-hmm. 
she's engaged to Billy Zane. Um, I forget his name. Cal Hockley. That's right, Cal Hockley. And you can tell he's the bad guy because of his hairline. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a receding hairline, you have to play the bad guy. Nice. But she's engaged to Cal. She's almost like a caged bird. Like she's very, very oppressed. She's a wealthy teenage girl who is basically on this trajectory of extraordinarily wealth that her mom and her dad would have lived mm-hmm. um and she sees the person that her mother is and wants no part in that and then her fiance is is again kind of this stuffy rich guy who very overbearing yeah like and very classist very there's uh, a sexist as well there's a scene early in the movie where um, they're all like dining in like the dining room and mm-hmm. he literally orders for her. Anyways, things aren't looking good for Rose and in a moment of despair, she decides to fling herself overboard. But fortunately, Leonardo DiCaprio as Jack is there to stop her. Yeah. And then that's kind of when we get into the story proper or at least the first half of the story proper. Yeah, and this is where the relationship between jack and rose starts and and the ill-fated love story that we get for the movie which eventually leads us into the events leading up to the sinking of the titanic and the actual events of the sinking unfolding in front of us which is quite traumatic to watch to be honest it's it's not an easy watch that last hour but um, it's essentially um for those of the few of you who haven't seen it, it's essentially it's a romantic comedy for an hour and a half, and then the ship sinks, and then it's a disaster movie for an hour and a half. Yes, and it is like the quintessential disaster movie. Like yes. the the story of the Titanic, which did sink in 1912, is pretty much the cap for disaster movies in film and basically started the idea of it was obviously very famous at that time especially as we're moving towards this globalization and everybody around the world is hearing Mm -hmm. about this connecting about this together it's kind of become like one of those events in human history that's uh been forever i don't know what the proper term is immortalized yeah it's it's, it's immortalized um, it's it's something that will always be talked about for the rest of time it's like the hindenburg disaster exactly in the sense it's almost like it's synonymous with disaster exactly things going wrong on a pun intended titanic scale yeah so absolutely yeah um so i think that's a pretty good description characters and people you may know you've already hinted on a lot of the characters that we Mm -hmm. were going to talk about um so rose dewitt Booketer is our our heroine of the story played by kate winslet this film is really important for not only what it covers mm-hmm. but for the career trajectories of its two main stars and so kate winslet for this movie this is like her top of the top movies of yeah, all time and not to cut you off but i would argue that this is essentially her movie yeah, she is essentially the she's essentially the real protagonist of this film. Absolutely, she is. And as I'm older and watching this film, I I really appreciated her portrayal of the character. Say what you want about Leonardo DiCaprio, she might steal the movie. Like Leo's Leo's got this like personality that's like so genuine and like you 
like lovable but her conflicted like personality between where she's going in life and where she wants to go in life is just it's so relatable um and and you can i feel like you can see yourself more in her than anybody else in the film in a way she's almost extremely more competent and likable than he is in a way not to say he isn't competent and likable but like There's a, uh, jumping ahead a bit, there's a scene where she's walking around on the deck with the helmsman or something, or the architect or something, and she points out, like, hey, I just noticed there aren't enough lifeboats for everyone on board. Like, she's, like, I've already mentioned, she's familiar with Picasso, she's familiar with Freud, like, you know, she's incredibly, like, savvy and, like, keen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and has an appreciation for the world and culture and everything Mm -hmm. going on around it. Like, she's very cognizant of everything going on around her. I really attached myself to her in this in this viewing that i don't think i did before when i was younger watching this film Hmm. leonardo dicaprio is like the biggest star in the world right now in my opinion in movies like not not always for great reasons but yeah (laughs) (laughs) we won't talk about his relationships with young women right (laughs) uh, beyond this sentence in this episode but but anyway yeah he's playing jack dawson the poor american artist traveling through europe who wins these last like last minute tickets onto the Titanic. So him and his buddy get this uh, essentially free ride onto the Titanic. But this is, again, one of the most iconic Leonardo DiCaprio roles and also maybe the most important role for his career trajectory as well. I think this was easily his star-making role. I know he this did... This is, absolutely. He did a couple of movies before this, but yep. he, this was definitely the DiCaprio movie of yeah, its time. Yeah, and I have, I have more to talk about the legacy a bit okay. later. Our other characters... So you've already talked about Rose's mother and uh, her fiancé, Cal. Um, the other character relating to Cal is his kind of bodyguard henchman oh, guy, yeah, that Spicer guy. Lovejoy, who executes his will there's a lot of historical figures so all the characters that we just mentioned aren't actual historical figures the titanic Mm -hmm. but james cameron the director put a lot of time and effort into actually adding in all of the the real historic characters from the actual sinking of the ship like i'm just going to mention a couple of them that are important and then you and i'll probably end up discussing them in a little bit more detail mm-hmm. i i was actually doing a bit of a review of of the titanic itself and, and all the characters on wikipedia they they actually separately list all of the historical characters that were oh. in the movie and also like real life characters That's and convenient. you and you legit have to scroll down to read all of the characters and their stories and it's really cool as well and, and this is probably further reading if anybody's interested out there is each of the the people that are played potentially have their own Wikipedia page, and if they don't, they have brief descriptions in the list of historical characters about who they were and what their fate aboard the ship was. It was and, quite the cast of characters on board that ship. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, it was huge. So I can't remember how many speaking parts there were, but it was like like a hundred or something like that in the film. It was quite, quite large. a bit. Yeah. Um. So a couple of characters that I was going to mention were. The unsinkable Molly Brown, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, played by Kathy Bates. This is one Absolutely. of a career highlight for Kathy Bates. I uh, really like her character. Mm-hmm. She plays the new money, wealthy woman on the ship who is kind of in the same social circle as Rose's mother, but Rose's mother and her friends kind of look down on her because she's not like the other wealthy people. She kind of sees the world from from a different viewpoint, and she's not as stuffy as she's the got a real the uh, salt of the earth attitude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she's pretty sympathetic towards 
Jack and and Jack and and Rose throughout the film as well. You can really also empathize with her character uh, often, um, and and she's kind of the hero in in several scenarios or there's, situations. There's one moment where Jack gets invited to like a fancy upscale uh, dinner, and you know she kind of pulls him aside, and says like, "What are you wearing?" Yeah, and she he, she goes out of her way to help him. Yeah, and he's like, "I don't know what I'm wearing right now." She's like, "Oh my god, you're wandering into a den of vipers." She's yeah. like. I'm pretty sure you're my son's size. Let's see if I have something for you. Mm-hmm. Like she really goes out of her way to help this poor kid. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so she's important to the film in uh, several different plot points. Uh, there's a few other characters related to the Titanic as well that are important. There's uh, Captain Smith, who is the captain of the ship. Thomas Andrews, who's the ship's builder, basically the architect of the whole ship, and very proud of the development of the Titanic. Bruce Ismay, who is the managing director of the ship and the company that owns the ship. And he's, again, kind of one of those snooty... Yeah, the mustache guy. Got a very distinct mustache. Yes, very distinct (laughs) mustache. So those are kind of the other big characters there's like i said you can scroll through the list of of historical characters online because there's a hundred of them probably in this film or close to a hundred of them and many other stories from that night are also included in this film in little appearances here and there Mm. um the only other character that i was going to mention was uh, you also mentioned uh bill paxton one of my favorite like uh, supporting actors of films. Really good character actor. Yeah. Very good character actor. Yeah. Also, uh, he appears in a lot of disaster movies now that I think about it. Remember Twister? Oh, yeah. He did appear in <laughs> Twister. He was also in uh, Apollo 13. He was in Aliens, which is uh, one of my favorite movies oh, of all yeah. time. Uh, yeah. Game over, man. Game <laughs> over. Oh, shit. That was him? That was him. Yeah. Oh, man. I got to watch that movie oh, now. It's fantastic. You've never seen Aliens? Oh, yeah. You haven't. I've seen Alien uh, number one. It's it's such a different tone than the original. And That's what I've heard. It, like, it... Basically takes on different genres than the first. Uh, like there's still the horror elements, but there's also the action elements. That's it. Wait, and... that's James Cameron too, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, it man. is. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I'm a big fan of James Cameron. So okay. Um, and that's partially why I wanted to do this episode because of the upcoming Avatar second movie, which we're gonna discuss discuss I, a little bit later. But... I will say I've never like I've enjoyed a lot of his movies. I don't think I've ever been a huge James Cameron fan, but I think after watching this movie and looking into the context a bit, I had a little moment where I'm like, okay, this guy's pretty talented. Have you seen Terminator 2 Judgment Day? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah cuz yeah. that's another one of his career highlights. Like James Cameron is a very reliable filmmaker. He's never going to make a bad movie necessarily. Maybe you don't love all of his movie choices, but there's there's not really any bad movies in his filmography. He's definitely, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this more later, but like he definitely knows how to tell a compelling story. And when you were just talking about all these historical characters, I know he took deliberately of like knowingly fudging the details on some of them just to make it more compelling cinema. Absolutely. And yeah. I kind of, I respect that to a great degree. 
Yeah, and and there's some very big design choices that he made with several characters that mm-hmm. uh, potentially rub people the wrong way, like historians. But again, if if you're trying to tell a compelling story, sometimes you do have to fudge with the historical facts of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing, which is awesome, is James Cameron's Canadian. I didn't realize what? that. What? Yeah, so <laughs> another great Canadian filmmaker. Okay, uh, you're welcome, America. Yeah, but... Denny Villeneuve and James Cameron. We have two of the greats. Okay, huh, good for us. Um, also Ryan Reynolds yeah not a, Ryan. Fi- not a filmmaker but he's a very around. very relevant uh, actor right now <laughs> he's around he's around um, so who is this movie for that's a very interesting question so I think that this movie has extraordinarily widespread appeal like mm. the only the only box that I don't see fitting this necessarily fitting in is is the box of like children like as a kid, I didn't fully get what this movie was about and what sure. this movie was trying to do, or maybe I just didn't care. And there's obviously like the elements of like the, there's some brief nudity. There's very the obvious we were, traumatic experience of the we Titanic were, sinking. Before we started recording, we were talking to your fiance, and she said, "I watched this movie in grade three, and we were both like, oh my god, they showed this to you in school." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she said, "No, I was just I was in grade three, and I watched it at a friend's house." We went, "Oh, okay." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I think all of us around that time had done that. Um, like you mentioned, we had the VHS tapes at our house. I think we borrowed them from a family friend or something like that. Yeah, maybe. Um, and so we watched it and like as a kid i was like you know th- there's this romantic element whatever at the end of this movie there's going to be a big disaster like film part of this and that was what i what i was excited about and that's what i cared about and so i missed seeing the forest through the trees here a little bit and i think as a kid you're not going to appreciate it as much definitely not as a little boy yeah exactly yeah. um but as i'm older now i, I like I, I don't I want to spoil my review too much. Okay. But I, I did really enjoy this movie just like as maybe a small mention of where I where I land on it. And I I saw it in a very different light from when I when I had first seen it or even like in 10 to 12 years ago when I saw it for the second time. Mm. Um, I appreciated all of the different elements and how they came together and how the different story elements were kind of all wrapped together and how how it made different aspects of the film important as well i definitely agree and i'm sure we'll get into more of that later absolutely i will say how james cameron presented this story was you know he is one of the greats and for good reason yeah what i what i almost want to recommend is if you're a millennial like us and you haven't seen this movie since you were maybe in your early to late teens uh, Mm -hmm. like maybe you saw this when this first came out or a few years after you're doing a disservice to yourself if you never watch this movie again. I think if you're if you're solely relying on the initial thoughts you had and opinions you had of the film at, at that age or time in your life, I think you can go into this and and get a lot more out of it than you did at that time. I will say, as someone who has never really, I will well not to change the subject, but like we've kind of talked about this before, maybe off camera. How when a movie becomes this big and this iconic, it's almost like you absorb so much of it through osmosis, like people parody it or like there's the memes, you know, for the longest time, I didn't really want to watch this movie because I was just like, well, I kind of like, you know, so many of the big pivotal moments have been parodied or spoiled. for. Yeah, you're like, I get it. Yeah, yeah, I don't need to see it. I get get it. it. Right. But I will say 
as someone who cares about cinema and someone who's about to turn 30 and someone who's never seen it, I am glad that I experienced it for myself. Awesome. Good. Yes. I'm glad to hear that. I When you texted me and you were like, I have thoughts about this movie, I was like, this could go one of two ways. <laughs> I think I can be happy to discuss both, but I'm glad to hear that you were happy that you watched it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say maybe there were part there. I do have complaints. Okay. Let's put it that way, yep. but we'll get into that later. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think this film, because it's, it's such a grand scale. And like we said before, like it fits to the historical genre, a disaster movie, a romance is a huge part of this. Oh yeah. Um, it's an epic, I think. I, I think you can classify this as an epic. It it almost doesn't quite make the epic, but just the size of the ship and like the size of the human impact on this film, I think justifies it as an epic. I think we can call it an epic. Um, In fact, epic might be the most succinct way of putting it. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and then lastly, obviously, it's a movie that takes place on a boat in the ocean. I like ship movies like the rest of everyone else like uh pirates of the caribbean okay um the other major ship tv show that i watched recently is season one of the terror which i've told you about a number you of have times. you lent me um, the book and i haven't read it yet. oh my god How i was rude. wondering where that book went <laughs> <laughs> it's with me <laughs> i i loved that tv series so much that i bought the book that it's based on and read all of that and then i read through as much as I could about the history of that online. I could tell you every little detail about those ships. Like, I, I don't know. It's a little bit fascination with disasters, like human disasters, and just mm. and how people react in, in situations. Um, but it's also a little bit just like, I find ships and seafaring really interesting and neat. And and the human stories of of early experiences on the ocean are, are very the interesting. Ocean. There is something very... Um... There's something very almost mythic about it. Yeah. You know, like the 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 chaos of the sea and yeah, traversing and, over it. And how foreign it was to us for so long as well, yeah. right? And like, w- we still haven't explored most of the ocean. We aren't meant to be at sea. We're just, we're barely meant to be on land. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think there's just so many elements of this film pulling from so many different genres that I think even if you don't, if if you're not interested in the romance right off the bat, or if you aren't Mm. interested in like the historic background of the Titanic, there's going to be elements of this film that you can grab onto and really enjoy and enjoy for these three hours and 15 minutes um that that it's worth your time to see especially if you've never seen it before especially if you saw it when you were really young and didn't understand it or didn't love certain elements of it yeah i will say as someone who isn't necessarily interested in the romance angle or the historical angle typically i was quite swept along by this movie this is very much like ben-hur just in the sense of how this is the kind of experience that only Hollywood can give you. This is an event movie. A yes. Hollywood event movie. It's almost a lot like Star Wars in a way. Yeah. I almost feel like, you know, we were kind of saying half facetiously, little boys won't like this movie or mm-hmm. children won't like this movie. And yeah, maybe. But honestly, like, this is one of those rare movies where I say it's pretty much for everyone. And I don't mean that, like, dismissively. Yeah. It's essentially for everyone. Yeah, it's essentially for everyone, but it wasn't made to be for everyone, if that kind of makes sense. Like, it's not something like a generic 
Netflix movie that it needs no. to be for the Chinese market and for the U.S. Mm-hmm. market and for any other large market that we're trying to cater to right now. It's not for like, you know, it's not a movie that you you turn on in the background and and text for or like look stuff up online for three hours while you're watching like you're pretty engaged while you're watching it yeah um and it's not like it's not a formula movie that is trying to appeal to everyone and make as much money as possible james cameron set out to do something and what the story that he wanted to tell just naturally appeal to everyone and they didn't even know at the time that it was going to have this much appeal they actually thought it was no. going to be a big failure yeah <laughs> so. and maybe we can talk about the production a bit more oh later, we definitely like, this was one of the most famous troubled productions in hollywood yeah the fact that this movie even exists and that it's as good as it is is sort of a miracle <laughs> yes, we might be living in the only timeline where this movie is good because <laughs> so much went wrong yeah we've been living in some dark timeline stuff lately so do yourself a favor and enjoy this one yeah you know what as <laughs> this bad as, timeline got it right <laughs> yeah as ba- our timeline finally got a win oh, that's awesome when to watch it's a three hour and 15 minute movie so you obviously need to have that time set aside to watch this it also i'm the kind of guy where if i get bored or distracted or something comes up i will pause the movie and pick it up again the next day mm-hmm. this is really the kind of movie that benefits from one sitting i think so too like i i kind of i didn't actually write this down but i was having the internal thought about like if you had to split this movie where would you split it and watch it over two nights and honestly like I I almost didn't want to recommend that as well because I think you're right. I think this deserves to be watched all in one go. I think we could pretty much both easily point to a part where we're like, okay, well, if we absolutely have to, cut it here. Yeah. But you're almost kind of... as much of a cliche as it might sound, this movie is more than the sum of its parts. Absolutely. So don't. Yeah. <laughs> don't it, cut it. Yeah. If, 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 for whatever reason, you cannot string together three hours and 15 minutes... My, in my opinion, the the point in time where I would cut it off would be uh, the guy sees the iceberg and he goes, there's an iceberg ahead. And that's where I would cut it off. Cut it, cut it, cut it. You know, actually, I'm just remembering this now. Um, my mom went and saw this in theaters with my dad and she told me they actually had an intermission. Really? Just like Ben-Hur. Interesting. Maybe I'll have to look that up online. Yeah, because um, the version I watched... I didn't have an intermission, so no, I'm curious to I. see where they put it. Yeah, so so would I. Um, but like I said, I think you and I are in agreement that you should watch this as one film. I think it fits as like a Sunday night kind of family uh, film. Not necess- It's not necessarily a family film because I already said it's not really for kids, but... It's a good uh, date night movie. Kind of. And I'm saying that because I watched it on a date. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's great. I I think that is a good time to watch it um, mm-hmm. on a date. So yeah, just I really appreciate to watch it together. I think I think you almost do have to watch it with somebody else as well because there's just there's so much like human emotion and trauma happening in it. You almost have to experience it with somebody else. You almost need like a buffer between you and the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You exactly. need someone else to suck up the excess emotions. Yeah. Actually, speaking of which. I do have a very pointed question for you, but I'm going to save it till the end. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. You know what? I might have the exact same question for you. <laughs> I don't think you do. <laughs> um, in terms of where Titanic is streaming right now, where to watch. So you can stream it on Crave Stars, uh, which is like 
stars attached to Crave, or you can do stars, the add-on through Amazon Prime. Alternatively, if you have the Paramount Plus subscription or Paramount Plus uh, through Amazon Prime, you can watch it through there. And I forgot I had a Paramount Plus subscription. You I, do? I rented it off YouTube. <laughs> oh, man, that's rough. Uh, you need to be using Just Watch. We, like, Chase and I have mentioned this so many times before but this is how him and i find all of our movies now is through it's just funny watch. i mentioned i watched this on a date yeah. i just i was pretty sure it was on netflix because i was pretty sure i'd seen it there before <laughs> so i like booted it up and i'm like oh it's not here uh <laughs> and then and i then you panicked and then i improvised <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's hilarious yeah Okay, I think that's the point in time where we cut her off and we say that, you know, we've been as spoiler-free as possible. So if you haven't seen this movie, do yourself the service of going and checking this if out. If you're one of those socially inept weirdos like me who hasn't seen it, <laughs> just go watch it. Cross off your list. Yeah, it's great. I'm hoping to get at least five more watches it out of it in my lifetime probably um that's fair that's fair i think it's a once a decade kind of movie it's not something you watch every weekend let's Mm, put it that way no who has who has the emotional bandwidth for that yeah exactly (laughs) all right so it's time to get into some spoiler talk where do you want to start when talking about this movie like talk about some of the the moments that appeal to you like what worked what didn't for you I will say, I mentioned earlier I had some grievances. Yeah, let's hear those. I'm going to air them now. I will say, um, so as previously said, this is essentially two movies kind of stapled together. Right. The first half is a romance and the second half is a disaster. I will say I actually really enjoyed the first half more than I enjoyed the second half. Really? Yeah. Like when the ship started going down... Mm -hmm. I won't say it lost me, but I was a little less engaged. Oh, really? At least, at least up until, I'd say from an hour and a half to two and a half hours, I was maybe a bit less engaged. But hmm. then I came back around for the finale. Interesting. Yeah. Where, again, I'm a big fan of a disaster movies in the sense that or like historical human disasters Mm -hmm. um, and and really interested in the human element of things and so i was really interested in seeing like how is cal going to respond this wealthy man to the situation how is the captain of the ship respond to the situation how are each of the characters individually and and maybe as a mob like there's all these elements happening like the the musicians playing till the end um yeah. like there, there's all these human elements happening throughout this film and and the crazy thing is is a lot of these smaller stories being told about the uh real people were actual things that happened that night yeah and um, that is kind of the mind-blowing part yeah exactly and so that's some of those parts actually shine through a little bit more for me and that Mm. and for me that that's really important to the film and i will say go this watch through i did appreciate the first half way more than any previous watch that i really really was invested in the relationship of of jack and rose and where things were heading but the disaster element was crucial for me to watch this because i wanted to understand that night and what happened to those people and in previous watches i don't think i would have said that the first part was essential and now that i'm mature and understand this movie as the more than some of its parts 
I think that without the romance element grounding it, I I don't yeah. think this movie quite works as well as as it could have if if that if it they had cut that or reduced that. So yeah, and I I do think that was quite masterful on James Cameron's part is that he realized. Uh, I think this is a quote from him. Like, you're not going to care about the ship sinking until you care about the ship. Why would you care about this ship unless you care about the people on board? Hmm. And why would you care about the people on board unless you got attached to these two crazy kids? Yeah. And so I'm going to actually bring up a TV series that I've probably brought up before on this podcast uh, that does something really similar to this is the show The Expanse, um, which is yeah, a up. sci-fi TV show. Um it's it's kind of similar in that it adds the human element to the disasters that happen. Mm. Like it's it's a solar show based several hundred years in the future, so it's very sci-fi heavy. And so when a big event happens that changes the balance of the solar system at that point in time, or or a big disaster happens, usually the episode after kind of deals with the the more person to person human elements of that and it's kind of like that saying where if if one person dies it's a tragedy but if uh, many people die it's a statistic like absolutely yeah so so adding this grounded love story into this film is is really what makes you care about everything else not to say that you don't care about all of the other characters and their fates on the titanic that night but it, it does kind of grounds you and and kind of puts you in a place where you can say like these are my people and i'm gonna see how these people make I their way through really this really want these two kids to make it yeah i got some writing advice a long time ago for those of you who don't know again all of you <laughs> i do uh write novels on the side and i got this advice almost 10 years ago where the person mentioned um the first avengers movie there's a moment where somebody brings up that loki has killed 78 people off screen and it's kind of like, oh, okay. Like, you just kind of shrug. Then halfway through the movie, at the end of the second act, Loki kills Phil Coulson, likable side character Phil Coulson. He stabs him through the chest. Right. And then we're like, oh, my God. Like, Loki's a monster. Yeah. And it is that, it's that quote. I was going to bring that up. Like, one death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. Yeah. So the fact that James Cameron got us to care so much about Jack and Rose and then the ship starts sinking around them, it's like, oh my God, it feels apocalyptic. That's exactly what yeah. I was going to say as well. Like this movie almost fits in the apocalypse genre and it's because of that, the way he's portrayed the importance of their relationship. And mm -hmm. it also like the ship itself is an ecosystem. It's large Absolutely. enough to, to have its own gravity essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and so like you could almost slot this in and I forgot I was going to say this, uh, you, but you could almost slot this in into like, Hey, I'm looking for like an apocalypse movie tonight and I've got three hours. Like I would watch this over 2012 any day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially 2012. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how many pickles Woody Harrelson's oh, character eats. <laughs> that's awesome. What was the saddest part of the film for you? Like what, what moment really hit you in the feels the most? This was my big question that I wanted to. Oh, that what was, was that was the, the pointed. Wait, that was the pointed question you were going to ask. Yeah, me? what was the what oh, was the was... biggest emotional impact you had on this film? Because this film tugs the heartstrings in so many different ways and so many different characters and and times. What I was going to ask you later on: Did you cry, and if so, at what point? I, it was a similar, yeah, similar. Okay, question. okay, so we are on the same page. Um, 
I think towards the end, I was really starting to like get misty eyed. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously I know Jack dies. Like everybody knows Jack dies, right? Yeah. But when she sees the ship coming for them and she turns over and says, Jack, like they're here, we're safe. And he's dead. Yeah. Like he died. And you already know. He died holding her hand. And you kind of see like his chin rocking on the, like the ballast or the flotsam they're on. That really got to me, but I didn't, what really kind of made me shed tears was towards the end when Rose, now 104, looking back on everything, and she's talking about Jack, and she says, he saved me in every way a person can be saved, and I don't even have a picture of him. For some reason, that line, and I don't even have a picture of him, that made me shed some tears. Yeah. Just Uh the, the... I don't even know what to say. Like just the the injustice of it all. Maybe that moment is is it's heartbreaking because you think of all the important family members that you have at that point in time, and like it makes you think about all the people that you maybe don't have in your life anymore, and and how lucky you were to spend that time with them, but also mm-hmm. like that you have the evidence of that as well. Like having yeah. having pictures are are more important than you think sometimes uh, in in remembering someone. I will also say the other thing that really made me shed extremely manly tears was the final shot where we have a big sweeping tracking shot on the wreck. It goes in through the windows. Suddenly it transitions into the Titanic back on its maiden voyage, spins around. They open the ballroom doors. Everyone who died on that Titanic is there. Mm -hmm. Jack is standing up on top of the stairs waiting for Rose. They embrace. That has to be one of the most moving, effective final shots I've ever seen in a movie. I would completely agree with you. Like The emotional weight of that, of her going home, cannot be understated in how important it is. It's almost the classic, you know, that whole, the whole Romeo and Juliet thing, we'll be together in death. It's essentially that taken to its logical conclusion. Yeah, it, like it, it feels it's it's the perfect way to end the movie. Yeah, it really is. Um, and we'll talk about an alternate ending a little bit later. And I think they came up with the the correct way to end this. The part that got me is actually not a part that you have actually mentioned. Uh, for me, the the part that hits me like an absolute gut punch is when the band is playing together, um, mm. and the, everybody's playing and their purpose behind playing while while the ship's going down, and and basically everyone is is panicking. Is they're just like you know like we we just want people not to panic, Luke. We just wanna we wanna yeah. make people's final moments like like easy like ease them in through their final moments and and when the the leader of the band looks at all of his bandmates and says gentlemen it has been a privilege playing with you tonight yeah and they kind of wrap up and they walk away and he stays there and he starts playing and the rest of the bandmates turn around and they they walk back and they come back and play with them like it's making me a little emotional now yeah, like, it to is, talk about it. it is but in the fact that that actually happened that's and that's what i was gonna say too like at at that moment while jess and i were watching like like i'm sitting there like holding back tears and jess is like i could cry right now and i was like same mm. <laughs> and and i was like and the worst part is is that this actually happened like these yeah. these band members played until the very end like they stood there and and 
that that's a hero to me. They're like they're the, heroes on that ship. There's also that kind of moment where they briefly pause while playing, and they kind of one of them kind of makes a comment like they're not even listening to us, and it's like, well, they never listen to us in the dining room either. Yeah. But then they kind of just agree like, well, like, and then they just keep going. Like mm-hmm. they understand that what they're doing is important. Yeah. Like it's a thankless job that maybe no one will remember, but they know it's important. Yeah. And I remember them. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. remember that part. And that's, that is one of the, the saddest parts of the sinking of the Titanic for me. And I, I will always remember those people. Uh, there was also that kind of little kind of mini, montage towards the end where they show a bunch of different shots of all these different people at their final moments Mm -hmm. and there's an old couple in bed together yes there's a woman reading to her children like i think that maybe more so than anything that was kind of the moment where i was like a lot of innocent people met their end yeah yeah and and like and and there was nothing that could have been done like like there was things that could have been done but nothing like it just that's what happened mm-hmm. and and those people that couple uh that actually did happen as well oh really the that was the owners of uh the macy's department store in new york um macy's. yeah they all right so she the store backstory behind that is she went to the boats they said you can come on they said your husband can't come with us and she basically said where you go i go and she turned oh. away and they died together on the boat and that's where that line actually that uh, rose says came from is is from the memory of one of the survivors hearing her say that to her husband and leaving well now i'm getting emotional yeah. um i watched an interview with james cameron earlier today in preparation for this where he told a story about um i guess maybe he would have been the richest man of america at that time i forget the name i don't think he was really mentioned i think he was mentioned in the movie but this part i'm about to tell you about wasn't actually in the final cut mm-hmm. i don't think it was this really 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 again i think he would have been the richest man of america at the time he would have been like 48 or something and he had an 18 year old bride right he was in the movie he was um, in the movie uh something aster williams maybe yes yeah, yeah. but anyways so this part he was in the movie but again this part wasn't in the movie but i guess he had this 18-year-old bride who he was madly in love with, and I think she was even pregnant. And they went to the boats together, and they basically said, you know, your wife can get on the boat, but you can't. And he just went, okay, like, boop, put his wife on the boat, kissed her. That was it. Yeah. Just he, richest man, one of the richest men in the world. He just, you know, he loved his wife. He didn't complain. He was just like, all right, see ya. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that's where James Cameron, I can really appreciate how much of his himself he put into this movie like he spent years researching for this movie like oh yeah he he had a whole office built on like the his history behind the titanic and so he actually took aside the 150 extras that they had on set um during the sinking who had those small roles those those human moments that we that we saw and he he took each and every one of them aside and said this is the passenger that you're playing oh this wow this is their name this is their story who they were as a person and these were what their final moments were mm-hmm. and this is what i need you to bring to this movie and i will say as much we've mentioned this before as much historical accuracy as he brought to this movie james cameron is ultimately a filmmaker Mm -hmm. so there were a few details he fudged just for the sake of drama and i think um 
perhaps the most controversial was the first mate who shot himself. Murdoch. Murdoch. I I read somewhere that Murdoch's family I guess Murdoch um again, he was the first mate. He shot while trying to keep order, he ended up shooting a passenger and then in despair he shot himself in the yeah. movie. And then in real life, that didn't happen. I'm not super sure what happened in real life, but it wasn't that. It It's not for sure known what happened to him in his last moments, but he did, from what we understand, try to keep order and try to get people onto the boats for as long as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that is one moment where it, it was kind of that dramatic element that was added to the movie. And as far as dramatic elements goes, I mean, it's, a, it's definitely... It's a very dramatic moment. Like, I don't really blame him for putting that in there. Mm -hmm. But I think I read somewhere that the family complained and James Cameron either set up a scholarship or donated some of the proceeds to the family. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, he... he, I think he regretted it after the fact. Yeah, the... Uh, the last known survivor of the Titanic who passed away in the early to mid-2000s um, was actually invited to the screening of, of this film, like the opening screening. Oh, and, no way. And uh, she actually turned it down. She was only like a baby, like a few months old at this time. Oh, okay. But she actually turned it down still because she was like, you know, like, this is way too traumatic for me to yeah, like, experience I, this and thanks but no thanks exactly <laughs> like, so hey batman we made a movie about your parents getting shot <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, like it's still a, a very tasteful film for the most part yeah like, um it, it certainly wasn't um sensational or pornographic or anything yeah like, that. like it wasn't trauma porn by any means like no it, like no. i i i came out of that with a a deep sense of sadness for the events of what happened. Yeah. Um, I, I think um, in terms of other historical things that were fudged, I did read that um, uh, Mr. Mustache, the guy we were talking about, yes. the, um, the owner uh, of the, the company. Yeah, the directing, the director of, of the company. Yeah, in the movie, he was portrayed as a total twat. Like, mm-hmm. he's extremely... There's a scene where he's urging the captain to go faster because he wants to beat the right. record or something. Yeah. I guess in real life, there's no evidence that he ever did anything like that. And I think some of the survivors even reported that like he was helping people towards the end. Yeah. And that he only got on the lifeboat because no other women or children were present. Right. So, I mean, again, it's great cinema and he's a great... I mean, just that mustache alone is so sinister. <laughs> I can't say enough about that mustache, but I don't mind James Cameron playing fast and loose with history in order to make a more compelling cinematic experience. Yeah, like the small the small changes that he made. Maybe I'll, what I'll do is I'll compare this to the TV miniseries Chernobyl. Um, yes. which came out in the last five years. There were a couple of creative liberties that were made during the making of that. However, the big overarching story of what happened and the stories of the people uh, and, and how their lives were affected largely stayed the same. So you still understood, you can still watch it and walk away understanding the people and the motivations and, and how they dealt with that situation, mm. um, even despite just minor changes happening. And and that's a very tasteful way to do things. And maybe I'll contradict that with the recent uh, movie Blonde about Marilyn Monroe's life. I don't know if you've read or heard a lot about no, that. No, I'm completely unfamiliar. It's uh, essentially, apparently, a three-hour 
trauma porn movie about Dude. how horrible Marilyn Monroe's life is and and it does a complete disservice to her. Jason and I were both kind of looking forward to it because we spent uh the summer watching Marilyn Monroe movies for the podcast that's and right we were really you excited. guys definitely did yeah and we were really excited about the film and and from everything I've read about it like I I have no interest in watching it at any point oh in time, really it's so. that I'm uh, well even um uh we were talking about biopics earlier I know Bohemian Rhapsody which I watched in theaters and I enjoyed it quite a lot I know even that you know played fast and loose with history yeah absolutely and it it also shied away from like the more like controversial parts of of freddie mercury's life and i put that in asterisks because obviously in today's world maybe those a lot of that wasn't controversial or isn't controversial anymore yeah but but i guess it's um it's, it's it's again trying to appeal to everyone and everyone everywhere uh you there are certain countries and and certain governments that if you want it to sell in those countries you have to obviously play by their rules i didn't really think about it like that but i know exactly what you mean well i mean um you know i don't uh, you and i were talking about um nathan fielder before we started recording Mm -hmm. and how he's done these two shows nathan for you and uh the rehearsal and they're great shows but it's also like the big question we have and that everyone else has is how much of this is uh, orchestrated or scripted or manipulated. And, you know, I did go to film school. I did direct a documentary at one point. And the truth is, like, everything you're seeing on screen is going to be manipulated in some way, shape, or form. By telling a story, by pointing a camera at something, you're altering, you're changing somebody's perspective. Yeah. Like, um, there's a famous quote by a Canadian documentarian whose name escapes me that you know a documentary is a lie at 24 frames per second so again looping it back to these biopics and james cameron and titanic it's like ultimately it's like the needs of the story will always supersede the needs of you know the hardcore history. historical accuracy yeah. yeah it's almost this is a weird metaphor but it's what's coming to mind it's it's like that that quote right like embodying the spirit of the law if not necessarily the letter of the law yeah i kind of know what you mean yeah Um, but yeah so yeah i i I think we've gotten into the weeds of how why we think that's important or why 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 sometimes it's okay but it's also knowing when it's okay and when it isn't like if you're if you're making a biopic and you change like key like importance like if you made the titanic a movie about how cal crashed the boat because he was upset about rose dipping on him then clearly like that's gonna rub people the wrong way right and do a disservice to the history of what happened in that scene honestly billy zane plays such a cartoonish asshole that i'm surprised there isn't a deleted scene where he's blamed for the whole sinking (laughs) of the titanic (laughs) i will say um jumping ahead a bit at the end of the movie um he survives but he goes looking for Rose and he can't find her and he just wanders away. And then Rose in voiceover telling this story 84 years later, she just very offhandedly says, yeah, that's the last I ever saw of him. And then in the stock market crash in 1929, he put a gun in his mouth and shot himself and that's it. Yeah. And it's, it struck me as kind of funny that he's like essentially the real main villain of the movie aside from the iceberg. And right. 
it's just there's something so dismissive about like yeah anyways he shot himself all right moving on yeah like but at first i was like that's kind of cheap but then i thought about it i'm like it's almost kind of it's kind of what he deserves in that it's happens off screen and it's so unceremonious it's just like yeah this asshole shoots himself like 15 years later don't worry about it yeah anyways. we're not <laughs> we're not glorifying the villain yeah it's almost um this is a weird comparison, but I thought about it. Um, do you remember uh, the train wreck that was Game of Thrones season eight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember um, Cersei and Jamie die by hiding under the uh, Red Keep and rocks fall on top of them and they right. die. And that's obviously a really stupid way to kill your main villain. <laughs> but I was talking to my friend Basil about it. Mm-hmm. And he said he actually appreciated it that after all the trouble Cersei caused, she just died a very inglorious unceremonious death right and he thought it was kind of fitting and i didn't agree but i see where he was coming from so like billy zane just wandering off frame and the voiceover being like yeah he shoots himself don't worry about it never never mind (laughs) like yeah like he he's a bad guy and you know it looks like he goes off to live his great life but in the end being a bad guy caught up with him it's almost like this is this movie is a real thesis for karma in a way yeah it's like karma was waiting for this guy eventually yeah so it it took a bit of time but we got there there's a couple other like historical similarities differences that i do want to mention before we get out of here they did only actually pull five people from the water really yeah there so many people died in the water that night because unless the boats were right there to pick them up like the people like you froze to death basically like yeah so quickly that you were dead within i think i read 30 minutes uh 10 to 30 minutes of being in that water was a death sentence there was that moment early on when rose is threatening to jump off the bow and mm-hmm. leonardo is trying to talk her down and he's kind of just coyly being like she's like well the fall would kill you he's like oh it would definitely hurt yeah <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's the cold I'm worried about. Like all, like a thousand knives hitting your skin, mm-hmm. which was actually quite clever for shadowing. Yeah, true. But- and and yeah, that that's the reality is that, for example, Molly Brown herself, that scene where she tells the captain of their ship uh, or of their their lifeboat to turn around and go pick up the survivors and he says no that actually happened like he actually was like we're not going to pick them up it's us or them now and i'm choosing us basically yeah Uh, and that was a a pretty common thread throughout is they were afraid that if if they went back to the survivors that the survivors like out in the water would actually basically swarm the the lifeboats and and flip them and capsize and kill everybody well you 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 hear about that happening with people who are drowning and you actually you saw that at one point in the movie where some guy was actually literally like holding a woman Mm -hmm. down so that he could hold himself upright and and that's that's, that panic that sets in when you're drowning and and that's that's the reality like that's something that i learned as when i went through lifeguard training is that you know you you don't swim out to save the person because there's stories of like four-year-old girls drowning police officers because of that feeling of adrenaline when you start drowning flight, and, yeah. yeah the adrenaline kicks in and and you're trying to survive no matter what you go like you're not thinking about anybody else you're not like that's not a person in front of you anymore that is that is a way to survive basically yeah and um Maybe this is getting a little philosophical, but like watching this movie towards the end, like it did kind of make me wonder, like it kind of makes you wonder, like 
what would I do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it does. I think like it's, and I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure this is historically accurate. There was really only one captain who was like, "All right, like get the women on that ship. Like we're going back." I think yeah. there was only the one, sh- the one guy who was brave enough to be like. All right, screw this. We're going back for them. Yeah, you know there's I mean? there's maybe a couple because, like I said, there's only five people that ultimately were pulled from the water. And yeah, lived. yeah. And wow. I mean, you know, the fact that you like to think that, like, in such a situation, you'd be brave enough to be like, actually, I'm going to go help those people. Yeah, it, I a, hope a we, lot of us would be just paralyzed with fear, and I, I fully believe that I would probably be one of those people I paralyzed in fear. We never find out. Yeah, <laughs> I can honestly say that I hope I never find out okay. who I am. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, who, who honestly wants to know who they are deep yeah, down? Yeah, that's yeah. a terrible thing to know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so the death toll was over just over fifteen hundred people out of the twenty two hundred people that hopped on the Titanic on its maiden voyage. So most of the people that were on that ship that night died. Wow. Um I will say, um, again, I'm not super familiar with the history, but I did do a little bit of research for this episode and I guess that in terms of if you actually look at the history of shipwrecks, the fact that they got women and children they pretty much prioritize women and children is actually kind of rare. Like in most shipwrecks, it's a bloodbath and a free for all. Yeah. The women and children is code is it's like a, it's like a code that people have used in disasters in the past. Um, and now is, it is a little bit ingrained in, in us as humans to think of like save the women and children first kind of thing. Right. But yeah, when, when push comes to shove and it's survival, you might not be thinking about that as priority. You're probably thinking about number oh, one. I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to go in that water. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, so the lifeboat situation was a fact that there was not enough lifeboats for everyone. However, that was legal back then because these, these ships like the Titanic was considered unsinkable. Like they were truly thought that these massive ships could not be sent and so the lifeboats weren't for like long-term survival it, it they were more for like the something's wrong with the ship we can't get it moving maybe it's sinking whatever there's another ship that's close enough that can come and we're just going to use these lifeboats to ferry people between the ships until everybody's rescued those ships weren't meant to sustain life the way that they needed to in the titanic in that situation and that actually changed how lifeboats worked on on these ships after this fact well i will say um there is a ton of dramatic irony in the first half of the movie when i mentioned before there's that scene where rose goes up to the shipwright or whatever and says hey there aren't enough lifeboats he's like oh well they were cluttering up the main bow so we just got rid of them yeah like director just the sheer arrogance on display in the first half of the movie you're like oh dude like (laughs) it's almost kind of satisfying when the ship starts sinking you're like yeah there you go (laughs) idiot you tempted fate so many times yeah yeah if you had said maybe a little less cocky yeah um but yeah, the the last thing that I just want to mention, actually, there's two things that I want to mention before we move on. Things that didn't happen, uh, they didn't lock the lower class below deck. That actually didn't oh. happen. That was another plot device to make things a little bit more dramatic. Interesting. Um, there was no classism that was really noted at the end when people were trying to get on ships. The priority was women and children. It wasn't women and children of first class. Like that, okay. that was something that the movie played up for. That's actually that actually makes me feel a little better. Yeah, that that was just a, a more of a plot device. 
the kind of interesting thought or fact about this, the length of the movie is three hours and 15 minutes. But if you look at the part of the movie that takes place in the past, if you take out the present day stuff, the movie takes the past part of the movie takes place over two hours and 40 minutes, which is the exact length of the Titanic sinking. That is really cool. Yeah, that is really, really cool. Um, so I believe and it was 1140 is when they hit the iceberg PM and the final uh, sinking when it's fully submerged was at 220 AM. Wow. Somebody, um, somebody, a YouTube comment I read uh-huh. said that that final shot that I love so much when we Rose reunites with Jack in the next world and he's standing, he's standing by the clock and somebody pointed out the clock is at 220 yeah yeah i that's a very nice touch so let's move into effects and filming uh there's a lot to talk about here because like you said this film was so troubled in its in its production and and this really is james cameron's movie like he wrote he directed it he edited it i believe he produced it like he he had all of his hands in all of the cookie jars of this movie linda hamilton um once pointed out James Cameron has a bit of a reputation for being a tyrant on set, but yeah. she pointed out that like he can literally do everything. Like he can wear all the hats. I think she said like the only thing he can't do is act. But right. like he can do everything else. Like yeah. write, direct, edit, set design, like And that's amazing. That's just not something that many directors can No, do. like he is he is an ex- again, I don't I think this is the first movie that really made me respect him a lot more as a director, but like he is clearly a master of his craft. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Also, when the credits came up, I didn't realize he wrote the movie. Yeah. Like this was his movie. So, and I'm going to get into the backstory of this actually now, because I did find this quite interesting. So James Cameron, the whole reason why this movie even was made was after the ship was found, I believe it was around 85 when yeah. they found the ship. After that, he wanted to do the dive. He was like, I oh, yeah. need to go see the Titanic. And so the way he framed this to the studios was, I want to do a movie about the Titanic. I need footage of it at like the ship down there, down at the bottom of the ocean for this movie. And I'm going myself to do it. And so James Cameron actually convinced the studio on that. They didn't even have a script at that point, convinced the studio at that point to fund this project. And they actually, the studio also wanted to incentivize James Cameron to sign a deal with them because he was becoming this big director and they wanted, they wanted a cut of that action. Sure. So he actually did 12 dives down to the Titanic and shot the actual footage that they use, like with the Titanic down there was real. Like that is the Titanic in the opening scenes of the movie. You know, it's funny. Um, I watched this movie on a date, as I mentioned, and mm. those opening shots of the wreck, I said to my date i was like that's not the actual titanic is it Uh uh-huh and i was like no way it couldn't be but then i started thinking like wait when did they discover the wreck yeah and then i was like wait didn't they just discover it like five years ago and i looked it up no that's the actual wreck yeah it is the actual wreck which i didn't actually realize until after i read it as well because i i've seen pictures of the titanic so I, i will say that i am also I guess I've kind of mentioned this, that I'm fascinated by the story of the Titanic, but also about the story of other like natural disasters and shipping disasters of history. And so I've done a lot of research into the Titanic before. And so watching it this time, I was like, man, that looks exactly like what I've seen the Titanic look like <laughs> yeah. at the bottom These of the ocean. These effects are amazing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And then yeah. I read that after and I was like, oh, that 
makes sense. Like that is a hundred percent. And James, so James Cameron went down there and those shots that we see are actually from the first time that they went down there. Wow. And he was like, so blown away that when he got up there, like he, when he got back up, he burst into tears because he was like, wow. The, the feeling of the human tragedy hit him and he was like if i'm going to do this like i really need to do this justice justice and so they spent like years like he spent years developing and reading and doing the backstory on this and and you got to give the man kudos like he knew the titanic inside and out before he did this and that shows very clearly in the presentation yeah there was um i think i i read somewhere today that at one point, because the movie went so over budget mm-hmm. and so over time, they were threatening to like kick him off the movie. And he said something like, you know, you're going to have to kill me to get me off this movie yeah. or something like that. He's like, you can't fire me. Yeah. You, I'm unfireable on this movie. I will not leave this production. This is my movie. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as an artist, I definitely respect that. Yeah, absolutely. And like, that's the same thing. You can compare that to Sylvester Stallone. Like his career would not have been the same if he hadn't have stuck to his guns and said, I've written Rocky and I'm starring in Rocky. Yeah. Like I am Rocky. I am Rocky. Yeah. Yeah. So James Cameron is the Titanic. <laughs> yeah. James Cameron is the Titanic. He's unsinkable. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we will see after Avatar 2, 3, four and five come out over the next five years. Oh my God. Is there four more? Yeah. (laughs) There's probably going to be a hundred of them at this point. There's a couple of scenes that I want to mention. So the engine room scenes, when you watch that scenes, you're like this, this is huge. Like the engine room looked massive. Oh yeah. And I was kind of astounded. Like how did they make this look so big? And they actually, all of the stuntmen that they cast for the, uh, scenes that were in the engine room were only five feet tall. So they actually <laughs> used height differences to make the oh whole room look bigger. And they used mirrors. So they put mirrors on either end. So it looked like it went on forever, but it was just like a mirroring of like everything that we're looking at basically. So it was some really cool like camera techniques that they used to make it look bigger than it was. See, this was like the golden age before VFX. Yes. When like they actually had to use like smoke and mirrors. Well, this is around the time time of cgi like this is uh what i say 98 97 97 yeah so so at this point in time cgi has kind of started and this is where i always say like around this time period if it's a heavily cgi'd movie i'm probably not gonna enjoy the special effects and james cameron at this time was like I do not want to rely on special effects for this film. They did use some CGI in some moments, but I think they used it enough that you almost can't tell when the CGI is happening. Because CGI from that time period is super obvious now, but I didn't really notice anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like a big example is uh, like when the people are falling off of the ship when it's sinking, like when it's pointed straight up oh yeah that was all cgi oh um, that makes sense yeah and those and the people falling there because actually funny enough he did try to do that in real life like he he tried to shoot those scenes but so many people were so injured off that he said we can't do this i like i, I can't have this so so that even that part he was trying to make like james real. cameron was throwing literally throwing people off the titanic exactly <laughs> trying to film this movie so another size thing that i find kind of funny is the grand staircase that beautiful day grand staircase. oh yeah they made that, that that is the grand staircase from the titanic like if you look at the images of what the titanic looked like back then like james cameron meticulously looked at any piece of photography like honestly go and look at like go look up the titanic 
titanic images after this he, he like that that scene of the grand staircase like the seat the dining scenes like everything is exactly how it was on the titanic at that point in time the only difference with this grand staircase is he actually made it 30 percent bigger because <laughs> because people at that time were shorter on average ah. so he wanted to make it feel as grand but if they had used the same measurements as today with how tall the average person is today it wouldn't have looked as grand as it as it does so if i was walking around i'd be like eh, it's not that tall yeah, yeah exactly so kind of interesting um that, that is that... In- what is the height difference between like the 1900s and now probably three inches i would guess i don't know okay. i don't know for a fact like that's pure guess but i would guess the probably two to three inches i would guess early 1900s it was probably five foot seven whereas the average today is like five foot nine to five foot ten that actually does make sense okay two to three two to three is my guess the scene where jack and rose meet to to thank uh like where rose wants to thank him like formally the bulk of that scene was improvised like james cameron was like you two just have a conversation about you know your lives and 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 how appreciative you are and just go nuts yeah and and so like it was kind of awkward but also like well done kind of thing right and so that was the natural discussion that those two had together to to kind of get that scene together as well as like the spitting part where he teaches her how to spit like a man that was yeah. actually heavily improvised as well and it comes back later right when when she rose spits, spits in his face yeah, yeah it spits in cal's face and so even that moment was actually changed like she was actually supposed to like poke him with a stick or something like that but the spitting is so much more effective especially with the callback right well i mean <laughs> Especially now in our uh, post-COVID days, like there's something <laughs> very vicious about spitting in someone's it's face. It's pretty gross, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, ah, gross. come on. But uh, I did genuinely buy the romance between these two. Yeah, absolutely. I was 100% on board with it. Like, yeah. I totally believed that these two would fall in love. Well, and like you said, too, like that quote where Rose said he saved me in every way that a person can save another person yeah. is Rose was ready to kill herself. Like she was at that point and that closing shot when you see Rose's life in those photographs beside her bed yeah. like you go on and you think like jack really did save her life and, yeah, and like, changed the trajectory of of where she was heading and she got to be the person that she was and and mm. that's that's honestly what the elements of the titanic are always going to be important for me as like the historian element that i really enjoyed for it but like now watching this movie and appreciating that element seeing rose get to be the person she was i really appreciate you know one of my pet peeves in fiction is i feel like in a lot of works of fiction whether it's i won't even name names because there's too many to count (laughs) but there's this trope of like there's a brooding kind of dark morally ambiguous man Mm -hmm. and a beautiful pure usually blonde woman who sort of redeems him through her love right and it's a trope that shows up a lot and like i'm sure it's been done well at different points but i always for me as an adult it always rings hollow to me this Mm -hmm. idea that like i'm a brooding man and nobody understands my pain and then this woman comes in and just like you know makes him a better person through her just her unconditional pure angelic love 
It always rings hollow to me. But what's interesting is that this is essentially kind of almost a gender inverted version of that. Right. And what's funny is that I kind of buy the gender inverted version. Yeah. It seems less condescending than the, oh, nobody understands me. I'm Batman, Christian Grey, whatever. And then. I think it's a little bit a sign of the times, like the time period in which this takes place. Like Rose is trapped and she can't she's not allowed to make the decisions that she wants to make like she is boxed in to be the wife of a rich man and yes. and show up to the parties and hang off of her husband and and she and it is her duty to be the wife and and until basically he goes off for his smoke after dinner with the rest of the men the movie does such a good job of showing that rose is actually extremely intelligent yeah and, it's like and, and having to and adventurous yeah it's like having to stay quiet and dumb herself down just for you know hal and his stupid hairline like <laughs> it's yeah you could see how crushing that would be to her yeah yeah and and so there's like there's that kind of victorious moment for how sad the tragedy of the titanic is there is a little bit of that it's bittersweet almost because rose and jack don't get to have a life together but it's also like rose gets to have the life that she deserved and she took for herself like she she finally figured it out like what she wanted to be and she was given the opportunity to be that person and she took it when she talks about having sex with Jack in the car, mm-hmm. which, by the way, was the origin of uh, Dirty Mike and the Boys. Um, <laughs> uh, that's another guy's joke for those of you listening. Um, when she talks about having sex with Jack in the car and she mentions, like, it was the most erotic moment of my life mm-hmm. so far. Yeah, I was kind of like, I was sitting there, I'm like... Good for you, Rose. Yeah. Like, you had good sex throughout your life. Like, yeah. I'm proud of you. <laughs> like, you deserve it. It, it. it was a it was a really great moment. And, like, and, and if you think about the tragedy of everything that happened that she had told to everybody, like, like everybody there hearing her story was, like... Moved. Moved by yeah. her story. And so to give them that little bit of, like, relief as well and give us, the audience, a little bit of relief of, like... Oh, so yeah. there's something good that happened in all of this. All right, let's let's move back to some of the effects in filming again. <laughs> we got a little off topic. Um, I have a couple more things that I did want to mention. So the ocean. Um, so most of the ocean that the extras were like jumping into. Um, that like during the scenes where everybody was trying to get off the ship was uh only three feet deep except for uh an area basically that was really deep so that they were basically told like you have to jump into this area so what they what the the way that they did it with the extras um is you you jumped into that area and then there was debris like chairs and stuff that were kind of stationed around that area so that was the three feet deep area so basically what you did was you jumped into the deep area and then you swam over to the shallow parts that were only three feet deep and then you just kind of like sat in there and like hunkered in basically interesting Um, and and on that note as well um you said how how much of maybe a hard-ass james cameron is on set he actually threatened to fire anyone uh who would get out of the tank for any reason even if it was a bathroom break um while they were shooting those scenes like the lifeboat scenes and while everybody was in the water 
so a lot of the actors actually said that they actually peed in the water while they were acting. <laughs> Both Kate Winslet and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio admitted to doing that. Uh, so it was a like it was a community pool. Yeah, essentially. it was a community wow. pool. I it respect was, that. It was a really massive set that they were using, right? Because they had like. Uh, I can't remember the scale of the size of the ship, but it like they almost had like a two scale size of the Titanic. I think in the had. the interview I watched with James Cameron today, he said it was like a three quarter size. Yeah, it model. was it was huge. Yeah, like and and they had that in in the tank with them, right? And and acting those scenes out is crazy. And and they made it big enough as well that they could lift it and lower it into the water so those scenes where you see the water rushing in they're like they've actually submerged it at that point in time which is crazy thinking about like the amount of effects that they went into like designing that those scenes right i think um i read something where billy zane said something like when the ship started sinking quote unquote like Mm. there was a genuine palpable sense of terror like yeah. you could almost believe you were in a ship that was going down. I believe it. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't imagine even just being on set of that. Like it, it would have been crazy. Yeah. Okay. We got to move on here. Uh, I've got one other comment that I want to make about the alternative ending to the film. Okay. Um, the alternative ending, Bill Paxton's character was actually supposed to catch the old Rose uh, before she throws the heart of the ocean into the ocean. And in that moment, she reveals that she never actually sold it because she didn't want to live off of Cal's money, but she, she kept it all of those years. And so basically, the the ending was that after accepting that the treasure is worthless, Brock laughs at his stupidity, and then uh, she throws it back in, and Rose goes to sleep, and and then we get like the original ending. So they okay. they cut that down. When they got to editing all of that. James Cameron realized that like the audience wouldn't care at that point <laughs> like that there's no at this point like the story of Bill Paxton's character is like so far behind this that like oh, we man. don't care about that it's anymore it's like an like, afterthought yeah, yeah exactly like thinking about this movie and thinking about the beginning like every time I watch this I'm sure five ten years from now when i watch this movie again i'm gonna go oh yeah bill paxton's in this um just like i did again because like it really just becomes like you know a little bit of plot device to get the story going and that's it it's a very effective framing device but it's clearly i think it was very wise to start with the wreck Mm -hmm. and like there's even that moment where the beardy guy is explaining what happened and how the ship crashed right and it's just it's getting that information out of the way so that we don't have to pause during the big big dramatic moments exactly right yeah and even bill paxton's character has a little bit of a character arc where he kind of says to the granddaughter like oh this time like these last three years i never let it in yeah and it's a little cheesy and a little hokey but like it works yeah it totally exactly. works and it, it's just enough and and the other point to this was as well is cameron realized that you know you you don't want to disrupt us the audience's melancholy that we have for the titanic yeah, sinking. like i it, it would have taken away from everything that we had just watched over the last like, hour of the film i'm picturing that scene in my head and it's so much less effective than what we actually got absolutely and the only point that i can make that i i actually think adds to my understanding of the film and maybe something i didn't think about is how she never sold it like i did think about the fact that she never sold it or used it but basically as one last like throwing in cal's face to like not even live off of something that he would have provided yeah. to her is, is and how important that is to her as the character of rose is i think it's really touching 
But as an audience, I think you either infer it, which I maybe a little bit inferred, but also didn't really think about too hard, or you don't. And either way, I don't think that significantly impacts your viewing of the film. Yeah, like your enjoyment of it. I mean, exactly. the Heart of the Ocean or whatever it's called, it's um, it's almost kind of just like a MacGuffin or an afterthought mm-hmm. anyway. Like I didn't really think too much about it. Like it's clearly what Brock is after, Right. But I mean, like you said, by the end of the movie, like it's Brock, who cares? Like yeah. he's he's pretty far in our rearview mirror, right? Yeah. Sorry, Bill Paxton, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. Score. You're you're somebody who said before that you don't necessarily notice scores, but what about this one? <laughs> Are we talking about the Celine Dion song? I'm talking about all of it. And you can also rope Celine Dion's song at the end into it. I will say that freaking Celine Dion song. I've probably listened to it like 20 times this week. Yeah. And you know what? It deserved to win the Oscar that year. It is a genuinely good song, especially with this movie. And you can understand why people would have been angry about a year after this movie came out because that song would have been playing everywhere, right? People would have definitely been sick of it and been sick of thinking about the Titanic. And that's maybe one of those knocks of like, it was too successful for its own good. It's, it's kind of funny how there's this like there's this threshold where it's like, you know, you're successful, you're successful, you're successful. But then it's almost like there's this moment where once you pass it, it's like, oh, now you're too successful. Yeah, and it's we your, hate you again. It's, yeah, the movie is great, but it's when you it's yeah it's at the butt phase. Of- it's it's almost like um like uh let it go from Frozen. Yeah, like it, I remember it reached <laughs> so a weird comparison. Well, I mean, it reached, you can run with that. I'm, it, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I never saw that movie actually up until not that long ago. But like, it came out in like December of 2013, and everybody loved it. But then two months later, I remember people being like, "I am so sick of that song." Like, blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's funny how people's goodwill is infinite until it's not. Exactly, and I think that actually did the movie a disservice in the long term outlook of this movie because you and i obviously i think we're both going to say we really enjoyed this film um, yes. when we get to our personal reviews and so if you look back at the times like i think after a certain period of time audiences would have been their patience would have been worn down by some of the constant in your face titanic is great and don't forget that and buy more tickets and buy all of our our score uh our film I, soundtrack i will say um i actually do have a funny story about this so like i said you and i would have been five when this movie came out but um this movie was in theaters for nine months mm-hmm. and i remember when it was first announced my mother saying to my dad why the heck would i want to go see a movie about a ship that sinks especially when i already know how it ends right but then again it was in theaters for nine months so like a few months later she was like all right i guess we should go see it and so she got me and my sister a sitter for the night Mm -hmm. she and my dad went out to see it and she loved it yeah and then she bought the she bought the official soundtrack and i still remember hearing that song in the car when my mom was driving wow so <laughs> That's hilarious yeah yeah the, so. the score overall like just go over celine dion's part in all of this is composed by james horner who this is like the best this is legitimately the best 
best-selling orchestral film soundtrack of all time, any movie. He also scored Avatar, Aliens, so the connection James Cameron. So they, they've worked together. Yeah, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Field of Dreams, and Braveheart scored all of those films. Okay, they're getting a little more random as yeah. the list goes on. Um, but very important to film composing history. Uh, those are all great movies. For Titanic, the score does a really great job of matching the tone of every part of the movie. Because at first, if you think about it, like the the opening shots of the the Titanic, not the movie Titanic, but like while everybody's getting on the ship, there's that sense of like like adventure and, yeah, and awe whimsy. over this massive ship and and like its main voyage and and we're here at this historic moment in time when the ship is about to leave the dock for the first time and then we move into like the romantic moments and like the the score gets a little bit more soft and 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 emotional and yeah and then things pick up again when you get into like the ship is sinking now and and everybody is panicking and and things get crazy and and the music reflects that and then finally like near the end when the reeds kind of start playing when that when that score like is just kind of in the background kind of like you know floating through the wind after this tragedy has happened and and you're sitting there kind of I guess sitting there and reflecting on everything that you watched, like, and that's that's part of what that score does is is just helps you sit there and quietly reflect on this disaster and, and what happened. I will say I didn't pay much attention to the score, but I think that's usually a good sign. Like, if you don't really notice the score that uh-huh. much, it means it's doing its job. Yeah, and and so for me, like, I do really focus on the score often, and I have a bone to pick with Tenant, uh, which maybe you and I will talk about later, okay. uh, about the score of Tenant. But for this, like, this is a 10 out of 10 score-wise for me. I honestly couldn't tell you many other movies that do the score better than this film i agree i think even the freaking celine dion song i think yeah. it it's the perfect song for this movie and this story and and funny enough james horner uh was given clear instructions by james cameron you do not put any lyrics in this film i do not want this film ruined by lyrics and james horner in secret went to celine dion and be and was like i need you to record this i think i have something here <laughs> like he wrote he wrote all of this for her oh really and and so and he was like please do this for me and so he waited until he thought that james cameron was in a good mood and he like basically like hey james yeah Yeah, he dropped this on him and he played it over and over again and james cameron was like yeah i think you actually have something here let's add it to the end i love that yeah so much initiative (laughs) yeah a hundred percent sometimes you got to stick to your guns when you know something's right you gotta just you just gotta go with it sometimes you just gotta go behind someone's back (laughs) yeah so we already talked a little bit about a look at the times and and what the the atmosphere was like when this movie came out and how impactful it was and the fact that it was in theaters for that long like it was still in theaters at the time that the vhs was released i remember it was the same thing with avatar like yeah. the dvd came out and it was still in theaters yeah i mean avatar is still playing in theaters today oh yeah like t- <laughs> there you go 14 years later yeah i want to ask you a question did you look at the movie poster for the titanic at all like when you were looking this up you, you must have seen it right like i've seen i mean i've seen the poster yeah with with jack and and uh, jack Kate. and rose yeah, and, and rose the ship underneath them yeah yeah it's a pretty iconic poster yeah do you think that it does a disservice to this movie at all? Um, do you think Do you think it's perfect? Do you give it a ten out of ten? I don't know if it's a ten out of ten, but I also don't know that I could come up with something better. 
especially yeah. with two Guinnesses floating in my system. Um, <laughs> That's I, fair. Well, here, let me turn this question back around on you. What do you think this poster does not do correctly? I think it f- makes the movie look like a pure romance film. Like, I think, yeah. I think it it really hammers home the fact that this is Jack and Rose's story and and James Cameron himself elevated this film to be so much more and like you said like the main protagonist of this film is Rose and Rose's story and by the end of it that's what I cared about like did Rose go on to live the life that she wanted and that Jack was able to like basically give her their perspective on and I think that the film or the the way that the poster makes it look like is that it's this grand epic romance, but there's just so much more to the movie, and I don't know how you show that on a poster. I think I agree with what you're saying, but I think that if you rip this movie's chest open, its beating heart is that romance. It is, but it's also I don't I don't want to just like put it down to like this is the story of how jack and rose fell in love it's because it's more than that it's this is the story of how rose became the person that she is and how she embraced life and how how the the impact of the titanic affected her and these few days with this character of jack changed everything and i know that that's the romantic element but I, i don't know how to do it better but i just think that if it wasn't me and you and we weren't looking at this as like a film to do for the podcast that if I was scrolling through movies on Netflix and I saw the poster of the Titanic, I might not click on it based on the poster alone. It might just not be our demographic. Yeah, it might not appeal I, to me. And wasn't that kind of maybe something that was happening behind the scenes at the time is they were worried that it was just kind of a teenage girl movie. Yeah. And they were like, well, how do we... I think that was the problem the studio had it's like well how do we market this to you know everybody as opposed to just teenage girls no i do think the poster is pretty damn effective it's iconic but i i i don't know i maybe it doesn't quite sit as well with me anyway let's talk legacy a little bit so this is the first film to make over a billion dollars at the box office that's right Um, and it was the the only until Avatar came out years later, another James Cameron movie. There you go. Um, Mythbusters dedicated a whole episode to the Titanic, and they proved that Jack could have gotten on the door. And James Cameron actually appeared in the episode to discuss it with them. And it was it was actually really funny. I was rewatching the clip today, and they basically like sounded down. They're like, "Hey, like we've done the research, and and." Jack could have survived if they had just been smart about how they like got on that together. And if as long as they kind of held their bodies up over the water a bit, they would have been fine. They wouldn't have died of hyperthermia together. And James Cameron was like, well, yeah, but also the script called for Jack to die and Jack needed to die. <laughs> and, and I was yeah. like, yeah, like, yeah, like that is true. And the script I think, says he dies. And, and, and that's like, that's one of those arguments that people have, right? Is ah, like this movie isn't, great because well they just conveniently had jack die and it's like but he needed to die it's 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 like the eagles in uh lord of the rings right yeah it's the most common sticking point for people but it's also like it's such a stupid criticism when you get right down to it yeah it's like like, yeah uh, like have you seen a movie do you know how stories are told like this guy needs to die you know what i mean like also i'm pretty sure there's a moment where like they both try to get on the door and it flips over 
Yeah. Right? Well, so, like, they're panicking, right? Yeah. Like, they're in the freezing cold ocean. You mm-hmm. can't see anything because it's pitch black at that point, and all you hear is screaming people. Yeah. So, so that's that's always been, like, even, again, as someone who hadn't seen the movie until now, that was always the big joke of the movie. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, Jack could have survived. Like, you know, move over, Kate. Ha, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. But... Yeah, this, so this movie is the movie that made Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, like, major Hollywood stars. Uh, like, Leo's definitely one of my favorite actors of all time. And oh, yeah. I was actually looking at his filmography of the last 20 years, and I've seen about 80% of his movies that have come out in the last 20 years. He's, especially in the last 10 years, I feel like he's done a lot of great stuff. Yeah, and so I was actually, I was reading a story, funny enough, uh, and I can't believe that this ended up relating to today, but I was reading an article in uh, GQ about Christian Bale today. He he had, like, a an interview with uh, GQ magazine, and he basically said that, like, Every big film in Hollywood today goes to Leonardo DiCaprio first, and he gets to choose which movies he starred in or which movie he stars in in Hollywood and how basically like nowadays you almost get your big breaks now or you almost you get your breaks as like like just under Leo by Leo turning down roles like yeah it's funny how that happens right. I remember um, William Goldman writing about that in Adventures of the Screen Trade, the fact that like sometimes these young actors get their big breaks because some other more iconic actor didn't feel like doing it. Exactly. Yeah. And so Christian Bale himself, I actually was, I was reading about this too, and this is how it comes back, is he actually auditioned for the role of Jack, and Cameron basically turned him down because he didn't want another british lead playing i another remember American. reading that yeah um and so it's funny because that's actually one criticism it's a very small criticism that i have is that kate winslet has a really bad american accent and so what does I, she yeah so she's plays an american in the film and when i when i actually was writing up my notes i actually put her as a rich british citizen and then I, as i was reading i was like oh wait she was cast as an american Whoops. and i was like oh yeah and then that's actually one comment that she had is she reflecting on the movie she's like i wish my accent was better <laughs> which is funny because it is something that i i legitimately thought she was british in the film i must have a bad ear for accents because that completely passed me by yeah. i didn't even know she was british yeah really so that it's just a small thing that i noticed the role of jack almost also went to johnny depp johnny depp yeah i heard that as well and it's maybe one of his biggest like he said it's one of his bigger regrets uh in filmmaking is that he passed on that role well then he uh he made up for it by like the five pirates of the caribbean movies <laughs> yeah monetarily absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> he decided he wasn't gonna let another ship movie pass him by and that so so that piece of wood that rose was floating on i just wanted to bring this up as a historical fact is based on like an actual piece of the titanic that basically floated away from the ship sinking and it's actually on display at the maritime museum of the atlantic uh, which is in halifax nova scotia so if you're ever in halifax and the eastern coast of canada is absolutely beautiful so i'd recommend going out there um so maybe make a stop there and and see some of see that as well as some of the artifact other artifacts that are in Uh, there tell them that we sent you at vintage cinema (laughs) 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 gotta gotta get the name out yeah exactly so sequels, prequels, and reboots. So this movie should never be remade. This is perfect the way it is. It's like Casablanca or the original Star Wars. Yeah. Like, don't, like don't touch it. Yeah, you don't need to. You never need to remake this. It is perfect. The effects hold up today. 
Um, like you said, you couldn't even tell where the CGI was because it's done so well and so tastefully. However, what I will say is there's actually an original film. The story of the Titanic's been popular for the last hundred years. Oh, yeah, years. there's been... I think there's been, like, what, two or three other Titanic movies? Yeah, and some t- TV miniseries as well. The one yeah. that I wanted to note for anybody who's interested in some extra watching is A Night to Remember, uh, which is the 1958 British film. Yeah. Um, it's actually considered to be the most accurate portrayal of what happened during the night of the Titanic. Sinking. Even more accurate than this one? Even more accurate than this one. Interesting. Um, so it is something that I will probably watch at some point. I'm actually kind of looking forward to it now that i've finally pinpointed what it was called um and maybe we'll do it on this podcast in like a year or two i think there was also a tv miniseries with Catherine zeta jones yes like, i believe like maybe so. even a few years before this movie but yeah the night to remember is the the one to remember and if, if you want to if you want to check it out uh like an old movie that is covering something historic then that's the one it's i'd almost- recommend to me, it's like Jaws and shark movies. It's like, why mm. would you ever bother making a shark movie after Jaws? Yeah, you know what like, I mean? if it's widely considered to be one of the best of all time, like, why would you try, like, yeah. to remake it? Like, if a no- actually, here's an interesting thought experiment. If a new studio and a new filmmaker came out tomorrow and said, we're making a Titanic movie, and it's going to be our take on Titanic, how would people react it would be like, why bother, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing with like the Ben Hur remake that came out like 10 to 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. Have, like, I people forgot are about just that. like, why? Like, yeah. the, it's perfect. It's, it's a perfect it's almost, movie. It's almost, uh, all right, not to be too topical, it's almost kind of those. Uh, it's like those live action Disney remakes. It's like Exactly. It's like you already got it right the first time. It's just a cash grab at yeah. that point. And so if there's if there's no purpose to a movie's existence beyond making money, then then why are you doing it? Like for like, money. Yeah, audience yeah, exactly. And and as an audience, we don't necessarily care about that, although I will say that with an asterisk because obviously some uh, major studios like Disney have figured out how to capitalize on that and tell not necessarily the exact same story, but an origin story of a superhero time and time and time and time and time again no, and, and making fuck. money off of that. So You're talking out your butt. Disney yeah. never does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, actually, uh, unrelated, Moon Knight wasn't bad. Cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to mention, actually, is if you want to see like the most accurate portrayal of what happened the night of the titanic there's a two hour two hour and 40 minute video on youtube uh that i've i've watched one night when i couldn't sleep i ended up starting it and then couldn't i couldn't stop it's like a video rendition like you just see the ship like a cart not a cartoon is it like a 3d rendering yeah like a 3d rendering of of the ship uh and so it's basically like plays the music like of like you know when when the uh musicians are playing like you can hear them playing pretty disturbingly you can hear the people screaming when when the Uh. people are supposed to be screaming during it but like it gives you like the facts of like here's what this happened and then this person did this and then like at this point in time the ship was at this level of sinking and like you can see it like portrayed on the 3d rendering of it and so if you're really really interested in like understanding the big picture of what happened and looking for that really historical uh look at the sink of the titanic i would i recommend watching it because it it was really fascinating when i watched it okay interesting yeah let's get to our personal review in the partner factor okay first viewing what do you think uh first viewing i like i said i enjoyed the first half more than i enjoyed the second half Mm -hmm. 
all the drama with the ship sinking kind of lost me a little bit. Mm. I will say towards the end, it kind of, I came back around and I shed some testosterone filled tears towards the end. Um, yeah, I was probably more invested in the love story than I was in the ship sinking. But I mean, that did make what inevitably happened more tragic. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know what? Probably the most accurate summation of this movie is Romeo and Juliet on a boat. Do you think this is one of the greatest films ever made? I think from a technical level, yes, it probably is. Mm-hmm. Would I put this movie in like my top 20 or my top 30 or my top 40? Probably not. But in terms of American cinema and Hollywood and spectacle and technical prowess, yeah, it's probably up there. I think this is one of the greatest movies ever made. Okay. And if you were to make a list of the top 100 most important films that have ever been made, I think the Titanic deserves a spot. Okay. That doesn't mean that it's my favorite movie of all time. I actually kind of agree with you that it wouldn't make my top 20 list. Well... It would be in the top... 50 i think well and again um not to belabor the point but experiencing this movie now like 25 years after it made waves pun Mm -hmm. intended is almost kind of an awkward situation to be in because like i said i haven't seen this movie until the other night but its main moments have been parodied and made fun of and like they're so iconic that it's reached beyond the silver screen and has hit me already. Yeah. Like Rose on the door, Jack sinking beneath the waves, like the ship going ass over tea kettle. Like I'd mm. never seen the movie, but I knew all those things happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just because of how iconic this movie is. So, yeah, it's exactly it. In a way, it's kind of like what we were saying earlier. It's almost like a movie being too successful almost kind of can hurt to its it. detriment to its detriment yeah yeah and i fully agree with that and that's i think why i don't think it's in the top 250 movie list on imdb and i think that is the problem is because it's it became so big that the butts started happening yeah and that's where it fell out of that but i think if you were to make a top 100 these are the most important films of humanity this is one of them and absolutely. And and like I said earlier, this is the kind of movie, this is the kind, no, this is the kind of experience that only Hollywood can give you. Absolutely. This is the kind of experience that only a master craftsman given $200 million can give you. Yeah. yeah. I fully agree. And the other thought that I had when I was kind of wrapping up and, and reflecting on, on viewing this is that the movie basically taps into the feeling of a sad ballad. Like, yeah, it's basically a sad ballad portrayed on screen and everybody can relate to a a sad ballad, basically. Mm, The sense of it's almost like longing, like that pit in your stomach or that that empathy that you get when when something tragic happens. Yeah. And I something uh, something so calamitous on such a grand scale it's almost i'm saying this half facetiously but i'm almost kind of surprised the studio didn't pull james cameron aside and be like are you sure they can't like get away like yeah. you know have a happy ending you know what i'm i'm sure that happened at some point and james cameron told them to f off but yeah yeah i find it very funny that you and i actually landed on the same page on this one yeah for once in our lives we're finally agreeing on something yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah one of the greatest films ever made not necessarily one of our favorite of all time i think though if i really think hard on this 
I think that in terms of pure enjoyment, I think When Harry Met Sally is probably my favorite romantic comedy of all the time. And okay. so if you if you just say the romance genre, so if you if you were to rope that in, I would say that probably does go on my top 30 list of greatest my favorite movies of all time. And this one probably falls out of it a little bit. Um yeah. but this is probably my favorite disaster movie of all time. Oh, 100%. This is easily... And I mean, it's it's almost a disservice to call it a disaster movie, yeah. but it is clearly... It's it's apocalyptic, not yeah. in scale, but in feeling. It This movie does apocalypse better than a lot of apocalypse movies do. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, it's a disservice to call it just a disaster movie, but as far as disaster movies go, you don't really get much better than this. Yeah, and, and Jess really enjoyed this one as well. I don't know if you watched this one with Pedden or not, but... Oh, I watched it on a date. Oh, yeah, um, you watched it on a date, not right? With, what did not, your date say? No, she actually had to... She had work in the morning, so she kind of had to clock out two hours in. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, so I watched the final... Well, that also impacted your viewing experience, too. Yeah, maybe that's why I was crying. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know what? Actually, I don't know how much. I don't think, I think she was a little lukewarm on it. Yeah? Now that I'm being honest, if I'm being honest, um, (laughs) I don't think she was all that invested in what was going on, but Mm -hmm. I was very invested. Fair enough. Has she seen it before? I think she was in the same boat as me. Again, I've got all the puns tonight, but, uh. Yeah, she wasn't really all that cool with it. (laughs) Otherwise, I think that's it. Uh, It was a great conversation. The Titanic was awesome, and I'm so glad that we rewatched it because I probably wouldn't have rewatched it anytime soon. Uh, I do have a final statement. This movie just turned 25, so Leonardo DiCaprio can't rewatch it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right. Great way to end it. Thanks, Mike. You're welcome. (laughs) See you all later.